Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Father, we thank you for all that you do for us. We thank you, Father, for your goodness, for your grace, for your mercy. We ask, Jesus, that you would just be with us today, that your hand of blessing would just be upon our service, and that, God, you would just speak to our hearts through your word. We pray you bless the offering as well today, and that, Lord, you would just multiply it and use it to further your kingdom, both here at home and around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever uh, been somewhere and uh, you were kind of exploring a little bit and, and you saw a door and on that door there was a sign that said authorized personnel only? Anybody ever seen that before? Have you ever wondered what was behind that door? There are times I wonder, what's behind there? I want to get back there. How do I get back there? How can I, how, who, how, what do you have to be? What are the credentials that you need to, to be an authorized personnel to get back to that place, to get, to get in whatever's behind uh, that door? And I think there are some times where there are just places where you and I cannot go unless we have a certain type of, of credential or we, we know somebody, we can't get the backstage pass. Well, in the Old Testament, when it came to uh, access to God, there was a, 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 a time, a period in the tabernacle, a time, a period in the temple where there was one place that was marked authorized personnel only. As the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt, as God had set them free, he brought them out to the mountain and he began to establish the way in which they would worship. And he laid out a plan for Moses. And, and part of that plan was to put right in the center of the camp a tabernacle. And that tabernacle was to be the place that would be the hub and the center of worship. And it would be that place where the priests would offer the sacrifices on behalf of the people. We've been talking about this in understanding the book of Hebrews, needing to understand what happened in the Old Testament so that we could fully appreciate what Jesus did for us through the New Testament and through what he did on the cross. And so there was this system of sacrifice that the priest would mediate the covenant between God and his people. And it was a way in which the people would worship God. And it was a way in which the, pe- that, that, that the people would find a way to have atonement for their sin. And again, in this tabernacle, there were two rooms. There was the holy place. And then beyond that was the holy of holies. And that was the place where it was authorized personnel only. Let me kind of illustrate it this way. I am, I am not Hebrew by any stretch of the imagination, so that would, that would main me, make me a Gentile. So let's pretend that I'm back in the Old Testament. We'll just say I'm, I happen to be from a, a, a people group that were called the Moabites. And so I'm, I'm, from a, I'm, a, I'm a Gentile people from the Moabites. I'm not Hebrew, but I've been watching Israel from afar. And I, I see the way they have this tabernacle in the center of their camp. And I'm watching as, as, as they're offering their sacrifices to their God. I've heard the stories of what their God did when he delivered 
delivered them out of Egypt. And I'm thinking, man, this must be an awesome, powerful God, and, and I want to get close to Him. And, and so I'm watching this way of, of worship and what's happening with this tabernacle and the sacrifices, and I see this cloud that just seems to be over the tabernacle, and I think, boy, what is that? I want to go down for a closer look. And so I begin to, to approach the camp, and as I, I'm making my way there, uh, a Hebrew uh, 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 friend comes up, and he says, hey, can I help you with something? And I said, man, I'm just really impressed with your God. And, and, I, and I see, can you tell me, what's that structure in the middle? And he says, well, that's our tabernacle. That's the place where we worship God, where we offer sacrifices, and, uh, and that. And I said, well, what's that cloud? And he says, well, listen, when we came out of Egypt, that cloud has been there, and it represents God's presence. And and it goes before us wherever we go. And at night, there's a pillar of fire just like it. And it, it stays right over there, over the, the tabernacle. Because in the tabernacle, there's this place called the Holy of Holies. And in there, the, there's this Ark of the Covenant represents the very presence of our God. And I said, man, I want to get close to your God. I'm going. And I start to take off towards the tabernacle. He goes, wait, 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 wait. You can't go in there. Well, why can't I go in there? What do you mean? Well, you have to understand, in the tabernacle, there's only, not even all of us who are, who are Israelites can go in there. There's only a, a, a certain part of us, a, a certain tribe, the tribe of Levi, that can go there. Well, wait a minute. How do you be a part of the tribe of Levi? I want to be a part of the tribe of Levi. You know, you got you to gotta be born into that. Well, what does the tribe of Levi do? Well, they, they prepare everything. They get things ready. And then I said, well, what's in that tabernacle? Well, there's two rooms. There's the holy place and the holy of holies. In the holy place, that's where only the priests can go. Only, not all the Levites can go there. Only the priests can go in there. Okay, well, well what do I got to do? I really want to be a, be a priest. No, you, you can't be a priest. That's only a select people group that, that God does. Well, what about that inner place, that holy of holies place? Can I go in there? No, not even all the priests can go in there. Only the high priests can go in there. Only the high priest. Well, if I'm the high priest, I'm going to be in there all the time. No, you can't be in there all the time. Why can't I be in there all the time? Because the high priest can only be in that room once a year on the Day of Atonement. He can only get into and have access to the, the, the presence of God once a year on the Day of Atonement. Well, that's kind of limiting. Authorized personnel only. This is the way in which worship was happening in, under the old covenant, the mediator of the old covenant. This is the way kind of worship like that was working. And, and, and so when we take a look at that, and now we come into Hebrews chapter 10, I want you to keep that thought in mind. Now let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. And again, we're in this series where we're unpacking some of these Old Testament ways in which Israel worships, showing how they were fulfilled in a better Savior whose name is Jesus, who issued a better covenant and a better sacrifice through, the, through this greater high priest, a better high priest Jesus, ultimately showing us that Jesus is better. The first part of Hebrews, uh, four chapters, we saw that Jesus was superior as in his person. He was superior to every other, to all in his person. Chapters 5 through 10, 18, he shows us that he's superior in his priesthood. And now we begin in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19, and running through the end of the book, what we find is, is that there is a superiority of Jesus that should spur us on to an enduring face that gives us a position that then illustrates out to us or helps us understand the practice that we ought to have in our relationship with Christ. It's vitally important that we understand what Christ has done for us 
as this foundation as followers of Jesus. And when we understand our position in Christ, we find that it becomes the very basis for our faith. So here, I want to I talk about the value of our position, and then I want to talk about the impact that has in our practice. How do we, why, why does that, how does that impact the way in which we practice our faith in Jesus Christ? Now, let's start with our position. Hebrews chapter 10, 19 to 21. Keep in mind that illustration that I talked about in the beginning. Once a year, authorized personnel only, once a year, could anybody be in the presence of God? And it was limited to the high priest once a year. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up or opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the, uh, uh, over the house of God, therefore, since we have this, all right, notice therefore, the linking word, what's a point back to? The foundation. Because we have this, what do we have? We have confidence. We have confidence to do what? We have confidence to enter the most holy place. We have this new confidence. That's a new position. There's a new confidence and there's a new boldness based on what? Remembering back what Jesus has done for us. So, so the most holy place was that inner place, the holy of holies. And as I mentioned, in that inner place, only the high priest could go there once a year. But because of what Christ has done, we now have a new position. And that new position is a position of confidence and boldness. Under the old covenant, only the high priest had access to that place and once a year. No one else was granted admittance into the very presence or throne room of God. No one else was admitted to that place. Oh, but because of what Jesus has done, you and I have a new position in Christ that gives us confidence that we can enter into that place. I don't think some of you are getting this. This is exciting. This is exciting. Where does this confidence come from? Does it come from our practice? Does it come because we're a good, moral person? Does it come because we've tried really hard and we followed the rules and we've followed the Ten Commandments? Does it come because we, we, we've, we've just done all of that better than anybody else? Where does, this, where does this confidence come from? God is still holy, right? He's still holy. It isn't that there's, there's this place in the most holy place where God is somehow not as holy as he was in the Old Testament that he required the kinds of rules and the kind of, the kind of uh, barriers like the curtain in order to keep us out. God is still holy. Where does this confidence come from? Therefore, therefore points us back to something where our confidence comes from. It points us back to Jesus, Hebrews 10.10. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Wait. By that will, whose will? By, by God's will, by, by, by Jesus, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. What does it say? Once for all. So God didn't, didn't become less holy, but because of what Jesus Christ has done, he has made us holy. How many would say, I am not a holy person? No, you're not. 
either am I. Except that because of what Jesus Christ has done, he has made us what we are not. He has given us a position that we did not have. Therefore, because of what Christ has done, we have a new confidence. Hebrews 10, 14, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Those who are being made holy. Once one sacrifice, his sacrifice, made perfect forever. Hebrews 10, 17 and 18, their sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Oh, come on, friends. We have a confidence because of what Christ has done. We have forgiveness because of what Christ has done. Our lawless deeds, our lawless acts have been forgiven because of what Christ has done. And because of what Christ has done, we have been given a position of holiness. Therefore, we can have confidence to enter into the most holy place. We have a new position, a position of being forgiven, a position of being made holy. I know this is hard because we look at ourselves and we say, but I'm not holy. Pastor, you ought to know I'm not holy. Oh, thank you, Jesus, right? Thank you, Jesus, that we have been made holy by the sacrifice of his body and by his blood. Therefore, we don't stand before the throne room of God and the holy and righteous judge. We don't stand before him on our own merits. That's why when people say, well, you know what? I, I, I believe after I die that I'm going to heaven because I've been a good person. Let me tell you something. A good person isn't going to be able to stand before a holy God because your goodness is compared to the badness of other people, not compared to the righteous holy standard of God. Therefore, you better be quaking in your boots if you're standing on your own merits and not on the merit of what Jesus Christ has done. That's what salvation is. Salvation is not I'm standing on my own merit. Salvation is I am putting my faith in the merit of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, his body that was, that was broken for me and his blood that was shed for me. And, and in, in, that, in that, I put my confidence. I don't put my confidence in the flesh. I don't put my confidence in my ability to follow the rules. I don't put my confidence in my ability to be made holy myself. I put my confidence in Jesus. Christ the confidence is in Jesus our confidence to enter the most holy place is by the blood of Jesus that gives us that all access pass to that place that is authorized personnel only you and I get an all-access backstage pass, not because of our merit, but because of what Christ has done. We can enter the most holy place. Going a little deeper, I want to point to the typology that's being used here to help illustrate what Jesus has done for us. Hebrews 10.20, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. Now, going back to the tabernacle, you need to understand that there was a thick curtain that separated the, the holy place from the most holy place, from the holy of holies. It was a, a thick curtain 
veil, a thick veiled curtain that literally separated the two rooms. The presence of God had been veiled like a thick curtain and access was denied except that once of year to the high priest. But when Jesus gave his life on the cross, here's what Matthew 27, 50 and 51 says. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he's on the cross, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When Jesus gave his life, similar to his body being broken for us, so that curtain was torn in two, allowing us access to the very presence of God. No longer a barrier. How? By a new and living way open to us through the curtain that is his body. Because of the broken body of Jesus Christ, we have been granted confident access to God. It's why Jesus declared in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How do I get that all access, authorized personnel only, pass to be in the very presence of God? I do that through my great high priest, Jesus Christ, and the work and sacrifice that he has done. He gives me that backstage pass. He gives me that all access, forget about backstage, all access pass that I can come into the very throne room of grace as Hebrews chapter 4 told us and find help in my time of need. Do you have that kind of confidence? Do you have that kind of confidence? Do you have the kind of confidence that that you feel in your position, your position in Christ? Do you feel that kind of confidence that you can have that access to, to God? I think sometimes we struggle with that. I I I I can't. I who am I? I can't do that. What about my guilt? What about my shame? What about my sin? What about this? What about that? Ba, 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 ba. And what does it do? It continues to be a veil, continues to place a barrier when we are invited. When we are invited, we're going to talk about this in just a minute. We're invited into the presence of God. Right? Jesus is our mediator. He's that better high priest that we talked about. He's the mediator of a new covenant between God and his people. It doesn't just grant us access to God, but Jesus is the one who literally ushers us in and mediates us in to the very presence of God. Hebrews 10, 21, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, you see our position of confidence is based on Jesus Christ as our great high priest and based on, on his sacrifice, his broken body. He is, our, he is our great high priest. He is both the mediator and the way maker who gives us access to God's throne. Think about that next time you sing the song Waymaker. He is our waymaker. So what does that position mean for us? The position then gives way to our practice. 
In other words, because of the position that we now have through Jesus Christ, there are certain actions that now the writer of Hebrews is going to encourage us to take. There are some steps that we can take. There are some encouragements that we, that we need to, to be a part of because of this new position that we have in Jesus Christ. So let's look at our practice for a moment. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 22. <coughs> Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. There are three action steps, or, or let me say three invitations, I should say. Three invitations that we have based on our position, our confident position in Jesus Christ. Based on this confident position, our new all-access pass that we have into the very presence of God, this new position that we have as being made holy and righteous and forgiven, what are we encouraged to do? One, draw near to God. Draw near to God. We are encouraged to draw near. This is a personal invitation to draw near into the most holy place where once where there was access that was denied except once a year to that special person who had been chosen, that great high priest. That all access pass has now been given to us and we've been given an invitation to come and sit in the throne room in the presence of the king. Oh, I think we're all asleep this morning. I think it's kind of like this. For many believers, it's kind of like the story that I found this week as I was preparing for this message. A guy by the name of William Randolph Hearst, he had invested a fortune in collecting treasures from around the world. One day, he had read a description of a very valuable art item, and so he sent one of his agents out to find it. And after months and months of, of searching, the agent that he had sent out finally returned and said, I found the treasure. And to kind of further sweeten the find a little bit, he learned that the relic would not cost Hearst anything. It wouldn't cost him a dime. You know why? Because he already owned it. The very thing he was looking for happened to be in a warehouse in an uncrated, he had a, at a crate, it was in an uncrated warehouse. There it was, right there, buried. He didn't even know he had the treasure, but there it was in a crate. All friends, I don't think as believers in Jesus Christ, we understand the treasure that we have been given. I don't think we understand the value of this all-access pass through Jesus Christ that we've been given that gives us access to draw near to the very throne of heaven. Oh, what a treasure it is. Oftentimes, though, we, we, we have this thing of a guilty conscience, right? Right? Or, or we lean into our religious works that kind of hold us back. Or we're always feeling like we need to do something else. And, and there has to be something more. And that, that Jesus isn't fully enough. But all oh, friends, Jesus is enough. Yeah. 
Jesus is enough. The author of Hebrews invites us to come in and let Jesus cleanse us in our conscience and cleanse us, washing of the pure of our of our bodies. That section there, some research or some people say it's baptism. That's not baptism. You know what that is? Baptism is the outward the outward sign of what Christ did on the inside. The sprinkle of the conscience is the inside. Listen, because of what Christ has done, you and I are cleansed inside and out. Therefore, we have that confidence in that all-access pass. We've been cleansed inside and out. Therefore, we can have confidence, the position of confidence, to enter in and take hold of this treasure of being near the very presence of God. When was the last time that you just drew near to Jesus? When was the last time that you just value just sitting in his presence, sitting at his feet, being in the very presence of God. For some, that's still a hard thing to understand. The second invitation is to hold fast to hope. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. These Hebrew believers, many of them, at the writing of this were ready to give up. They had experienced difficulty. They had experienced persecution. Let me tell you something. If anybody tells you that if you put your life, you give your life to Jesus, if you, if you surrender your life to Christ, that, that life is just suddenly going to be all peachy keen and get better, I'm going to tell you they're lying to you. They're lying to you. We, we live in a broken world. We still experience the brokenness of this world. And when we give our lives to Christ, we open ourselves up to a new attack, a spiritual attack of the enemy. Let me tell you something. When you give your life to Christ, life isn't easier. Sometimes it gets a little harder, except that you've got one who never leaves you nor forsakes you, that walks with you through it. And you find that there's a joy even in the midst of the trial. That's extra. But some, they were ready to give up. They were ready to give up. In fact, later on, he talks about this persecution in in verses 32 to 35 of chapter 10. And he says, remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison, joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possession. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Friends, I don't know where you're at right now in your faith. I don't know if you've been ready to give up. I don't know if there's been some curveballs that have been thrown and you've kind of raised your fist at God and said, I don't understand why this is happening. Why should I continue to trust and believe in you? I'm not seeing breakthrough. I'm not seeing healing. I'm not seeing hope. Oh, don't give up your confidence. Don't give up your confidence. Hold on to hope. Hold on to hope. Hold on unswervingly to the hope you profess. How can I say that? Because he who promised is faithful. He is faithful. He has been faithful through the generations. He has been faithful before, and he is faithful today. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't give up your confidence. 
Don't give up your confidence, for your reward is coming. Oh, here's the next one. Encourage one another. Anybody need a little encouragement this morning? I need a little encouragement this morning. Encourage one another. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Come on. Come on. Love and good deeds. Let's go. Come on. We can do this. Come on. You can do this. Come on. Encourage one another. We can, we can do this. Oh, here it is. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Let me tell you something, friends. The life of a follower uh, of Jesus Christ was never something that you were meant to live alone. It's not something you were meant to live alone. There's some lies that are out there, all right? Well, I, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I know. We're saved by grace. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. Yet I never saw Jesus, who you're supposed to follow, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm supposed to follow his example. I'm supposed to imitate Christ. I didn't see Jesus walking alone. I never saw Jesus walking alone. He invited 12 guys to do life with him. Beyond those 12, he sent out 72. So there were a whole lot of others that were following too. If Jesus didn't do life alone, why do you think you should? I don't see anywhere in Scripture where we're encouraged to do life alone. In fact, right in the very beginning, it's not good that man should be alone. We were meant for community. Why? Because this life is hard. And when the enemy gets you alone, he gets you picked off. You become more discouraged. But that's where we want to be. That's the temptation. When we start to lose our confidence, when we start to struggle a little bit, we don't want anybody to know. So we just start to isolate ourselves. We start to distance ourselves. We start to lose the habit. It's a habit of meeting together. There's a habit of not meeting together. COVID didn't help that. There are some that are still not in the habit of meeting together. And I get there are some fears when it comes to, to personal health. I want to respect that. At the same time, there are some that are using it still as an excuse to not have to be together and spur one another on in worship. If you don't like it, you can email me. At least then I might get contact back. When I call you, it's because I want to encourage you. It's not because I'm, you know, checking on you like you're in the principal's office or something. It's because I care about you because you're family. We're a family. We're a family. We're a family. We're a family. We've got to encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. I don't know about you, but I see the day approaching. It doesn't say meet, no, 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 meeting together any less because, you know, as you see the day approaching, you don't need to meet together. And it says all the more as you see the day approaching. All the more get together. All the more be together. All the more encourage one another. All the more and make the habit of meeting together. All the more spur each other on. All the more get together. We've got to start encouraging one another. We live in 
a discouraging world, in a discouraging culture, there's enough discouragement that is out there. We as the body of Christ got to start encouraging one another. Oh, I'm getting in trouble today. That's okay. Jesus is coming. We've got to replace our habits, the habit of neglect with the habit of encouragement. Stirring one another on towards love and good works. Hebrews 10, 36 and 37. I'm going to close with this. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you'll receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is, he, he who is coming will come and will not delay. Oh, you'll receive what is promised. Hold on. Let me encourage you. Let me spur you on a little bit. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. The day is coming. The day is coming. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. What habits do you need to make sure you're not neglecting? Oh, worship team, will you come? We're going to get ready for communion. So go ahead and just prepare yourselves here. And as we do, as I, I want to wrap this up with just an encouragement that that, that just kind of, we talked a little bit about um, before. <clears throat> and I, I, I think that, that sometimes we think that our practices lead to our position. I think sometimes we, we think that in order to draw near, we've got we've to show God that we're serious about this. We've got to do good deeds and practice. We've got we to gotta go to church. To understand the position of, of meeting together and the habit of meeting together was after we understand the position of where we are in Christ, not vice versa. You don't come to church so that you can, so that you can show God you're serious and, and, and have access to His presence. It, it's not like that. Position Position leads to practice, not practice to position. The gospel message of Jesus is that because what he has done, because of his broken body, because of his shed blood, because of his position as our great high priest, that we have been given a confident and bold position to enter and draw near to the very throne of grace, to, very, to be able to draw near to God. We have been given access, and from that position, we accept the invitation through the way, Jesus Christ, to enter the very presence of God. It gives us the hope that we have to hold unswervingly in perseverance. And it encourages us in that we can say, don't give up. Let me spur you on towards love and good deeds because he who promised is faithful. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.